With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Good friend of the program, Mark Schindler, is in the building. Mark and I are here to talk about some early season takeaways from the NBA. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Toronto Raptors. We're going to talk a little bit about a guy that is blowing up all across the NBA and having his best start to a season in his, what is it, probably six or seven years now he's been in the NBA. We're going to talk about the Brooklyn Nets and some of the things we've seen from Ben Simmons. We're going to talk about the New Orleans Pelicans and just one of the most fun rosters in the NBA. And then finally, we're going to finish on the Minnesota Timberwolves and some of the things we've seen from their grand two seven-footer experiment uh, that, you know, based on what happened with Carl Towns last night in his press conference, we'll see how well that goes long-term. Uh, Mark, what's going on, buddy? Man, not a whole ton. I've been watching a lot of basketball. I feel like that's uh, <laughs> my last two weeks has been uh, it's uh, it's one of the good things and also bad things about the NBA being back. You just kind of uh, yeah. get sucked into a vortex of like everything because especially with college hoops coming up in uh, in two weeks, which, geez, that sounds a lot closer than it is. Um, well, simultaneously feeling not nearly as far away as it is. Um I feel like I really need to get a head start on everything going on in the NBA season. So I feel like I, uh, I think I'm at the point where I've seen every team twice except the Mavs now, um, which has been an endeavor to keep up with. But we're here. So I'm very ready to uncork some takes and talk basketball, man. How's everything on your end? It's good. You are ahead of me in terms of who you have seen thus far. So, like, I have not yet watched the New York Knicks play basketball. This oh, season. they look amazing this year. Completely like f- without uh without any kind of like hyperbole in that. Like I've I've heard good things. Yeah, like for sure. Like I've absolutely heard good things, and I've heard they've looked really fun. And like the Jalen Brunson edition has made them look very coherent. Just haven't watched them yet. I haven't watched the Bulls yet either. Randomly, like I didn't watch the Bulls Cavs game. Like that's not the game of the Cavs that I watched. So you know, th- there are a few teams that I'm still you know kind of trying to catch up on. If only because like look, you know three podcasts a week, plus I defile mock draft, which is coming out later this week. Uh, plus I had a couple of things with those positional rankings go up last week at the athletic. It just gets a little intense, Mark. Sometimes I believe sometimes it. there's a little too much going on here. Um, okay. So the important thing is that at the top, I want to make a little bit of an announcement, a fun announcement. Mark is going to be joining the podcast once per week. To do this, basically, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA once the college season starts. We're probably going to talk a little bit about draft prospects. But Mark is one of my favorite people working in basketball. And I am so excited that he agreed to come on the show once a week and just be willing to break down basketball with me. Because I know that he puts in the work and I know that his takes are going to be spicy yet uh, cultured, maybe is the way to put it. (laughs) Spicy yet cultured. I'll take it, man. (laughs) Uh, No, I appreciate it, Sam. I'm really psyched to 
be a boy. I appreciate the kind words. And um, I'm just, uh, any, any opportunity to talk hoops is something I'm looking forward to. So especially considering good hoops, good hoops talks, best way to put it. Yeah, it's the best, isn't it? Uh, another shout out here outside of Mark. Shout out Phil Kessel, baby. Phil Kessel. The Iron Man streak is coming. Yeah, he's going to set the record this coming, uh, I believe tonight, actually, as we're talking. Uh, He's going to set the record for most consecutive games played in NHL history. Phil Kessel, this man overcame cancer. He overcame a hairline that looks like mine. (laughs) Like... Just an absolute king. This guy got obliterated in Toronto media for his off-ice habits. And here he is. He's still standing. He's going to play his 990th straight game in the NHL. Think about how crazy that is with how physical hockey is. That's amazing. Where does he play? He plays for the Vegas Golden Knights now. He's basically okay. like a power play specialist. Oh, yeah, that's right. He got traded from uh, from the Penguins. Like that shit. That's like already like two or three years ago now. Yeah, that's how I. Is. So I grew up playing hockey, and like like you were saying, I mean, Phil Kessel's hairline started dying like seven years ago. So the fact that he's still playing is insane to me. But good Just for him, king. man. Our king here. Uh, he's with me every day at the desk. Phil Kessel, just an absolute absolute legend of the Pittsburgh Penguins of Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, a legend of guys who are incredibly athletic and don't need to work on it. Like just got it. Some guys just got it and they don't need to mess with it. Phil Kessel. What a King. Uh, congratulations to him on playing hopefully tonight, assuming nothing goes haywire His 990th consecutive NHL game. Uh, Ben Cox is in the comments saying that instead of talking about movies with you at the end of the episode, I'm going to have to do uh, food takes with Mark. How, how does that sound? We'll do that. Uh, I think I think movies might be more beneficial for the guests. We're being completely honest. <laughs> yesterday was a yesterday was a tough one. I had thoughts on Thanksgiving food. People did not agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm happy to do whichever one works best for you. Sam. <laughs> we might we might do food takes at the end because I might need some Thanksgiving uh, opinions here. Okay. Uh, Okay, let's actually talk about basketball now. The Toronto Raptors have started 2-1 and one this year. Uh, I've really liked what I've seen, and I think that Raptors fans should be really, really excited about the direction of the team. Uh, the Miami Heat, they beat them 98-90 to in their third game after a loss, uh, 112-109. to uh, And then they lost, actually, they're 2-2, two and two, I guess. When did I miss a game here? I missed a game at some point. Because they played the um, twice, and they got bludgeoned in the game right. before. Yeah. Yeah, why why did I think that why did I think they only played the Heat once? But they lost to the Nets by four and they beat the Cavs by three. It's been a lot of tight games for the Raptors, and it is interesting to me the way they've looked. Uh this is a team that is just kind of struggling a little bit with depth right now, it feels mm-hmm. like. Uh, this is a team that is getting an absolutely superhuman performance from Pascal Siakam uh, basically every night that he's playing at this point. Obviously, uh, Scotty Barnes is kind of like day-to-day, it seems like. Otto Porter uh, is currently out. They're starting Christian Coloco at center uh, in their last game. It's just kind of a wild ride, it feels like, for the Raptors. But overall, I think that the impressions are positive uh, with the Raptors early this season, especially given that they banked wins against Cleveland and Miami. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a great way to put it. I think that they're still trying to figure some things out. And like you mentioned, I think part of that is with with the depth, like 
Otto Porter Jr. is going to do so many positive things for this team. Like, this is a team that last year, pretty much outside, I mean, like, obviously, Fred Van Vliet's a movement shooter, but considering how much more he was on the ball, he can, he can toggle off the ball. But, like, Gary Trent Jr. was really their only consistent movement shooter last year outside of Fred Van Vliet. And for an offense that already uh, has some systemic issues just in how stagnant they can be, part of that's the way that they want to play, but also that's personnel. Um, having Otto is going to be huge with that. And somebody who's moving the ball as well, too. Like if you're passing the ball to Gary Trent Jr., you're not getting it back. Um, with Otto Porter, it's going to be different. Um, and I've, I've, obviously, too, I mean, like Scotty Barnes is out right now with an ankle injury. So I think it makes sense with what you see yesterday. But also, um, it was kind of enticing, like seeing Christian Coloco get that start. Um, I think he was the only Raptor to finish with a negative plus minus, if I remember correctly. Um, which I think is indicative of being a rookie, but also like you could see some real positivity there. And I've liked what his minutes have been overall. He was somebody, as soon as they drafted him 33rd overall, I really was into it. He's very much a Raptors guy. Like he has the mobility. He has the ability to, to do things and be versatile on court, but figuring out his offensive game is going to be an endeavor. And we've already, I think he's missed like six or seven dunks already this year, which is going to be a, a resounding theme, but um but, I mean, he really was able to stifle Bam out of bio a couple times when it really mattered yesterday. Um, so I, I think there are just a lot of things that you can look at and be pretty positive about with this team right now. Yeah, the Coloco pick was interesting, if only because if it was any other team, I'd have been like, this is a nightmare waiting to happen. But with their developmental system, I actually believe in the mm-hmm. Raptors to be able to get the most out of his offense and try to work on his hands a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was the most effective defensive player in the country last year. Uh, at Arizona. I thought he was absolutely incredible defensively. Uh, they really ran a heavy drop scheme with him. Mm. And I think that that's what you're going to have to do uh, with Toronto. You're going to have to keep just running a heavy drop. I'm not huge on his switchability, especially as he continues to grow into his body uh, and maybe loses some of that mobility. He has very, very high hips, uh, yeah. I think. Uh, he's just kind of got these like super long legs and doesn't have crazy strength throughout his legs. And I worry about what this kind of looks like as he continues to uh, continues to develop. But I think that your overall takeaways on him, particularly because I think he's a very interesting addition just in terms of length and ability to defend the basket. This is a team that desperately needed that last year, you know, Chris Boucher, as much as we enjoy the weak side shot blocking, as much as we enjoy the three-point shooting, some of what he can bring in transition. Um, not a guy that like is all that impactful around the basket defensively yeah. unless he's rotating over from the weak side. Um, it, it, it's, it's intriguing to watch this team, especially that last game against Miami without Scotty Barnes because that is one of the games I watched, the game that they beat uh, Miami. And... I, I really, really like where this team is headed, if only because Pascal Siakam, he played his worst game of the season in that game, I thought. Uh, he had 23 points, nine rebounds, and six assists, and just looks like he is one of the 10 best players in the NBA right now. And this is a guy that nobody talked about in this capacity coming into the year. This is a guy that has, for years now, been drastically underrated. In my opinion, Uh, you look at what he's brought to the table, the way he closed last season, the way he's continually added different things to his game over the course of his career. This has not been, um, you know, a typical projection curve where it goes up and up and up and then kind of stagnates at a certain point. 
the way that his work ethic is and the way that he continues to play, he just continues to add different things to his game consistently every single year that he comes back. Uh, you know, this year, I think he's just been much more aggressive. It seems as a driver uh, and he feels a little bit more aggressive as a shooter. Like he's actually just kind of pulling from three really confidently uh, in a way that we haven't seen previously. If he's a three point shooter that like they can rely on, when you get Scotty Barnes back, it eases everything for everyone, I think, on this roster. Yeah, I mean, the, like you mentioned, I think the biggest thing is just the drives overall. I think he really uh, took a pretty sizable leap with that last year uh, in terms of like, obviously, like the drives have been a thing for him and, and what's been interesting about him since he got into the NBA. But it's the way that he's been able to expand on it. Like last year, I felt like you could really see the pacing and tempo start to develop for him and where he's really able to slow down, but then also really hit the shift. Like, I think that's the biggest difference you see in guys. Like, obviously, like when Joff first came in the league, everything's 100 miles an hour, but honestly, faster than that. And now, like, I mean, something we'll talk about, like this year, like he's really starting to mix in just like quick stops and starts and it obliterates people. And I think with Pascal being 6'9", what he's doing, um, a friend of mine who covers the Raptors, Samson Folk over at Raptors Public, put put the po- positive this to me that he's the best live dribble creator that's six, like the best live dribble forward right now. Obviously, not like Luca or one of the guards or whatever, but in terms of being able to destroy a defense with your drives, like I think he's there um, with what he can do in terms of just a- absolutely blowing up the paint. Like they, I still I mean, wish- it's got it's got to be Giannis, right? Well, okay. I mean, Giannis Bill, is Giannis like, is his yeah. own thing. Giannis is a Giannis is a different animal. But like in terms of, like, I, I understand your point though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like he's doing like legit manip- manipulation stuff. Like it's not yeah. just I'm just making an open read. Like no, he's actually trying to manipulate defenders and make passes like that. Um, I still wish that they would do more of letting him run inverted pick and roll um, because they just don't do it enough. But he's so good at mashing out of the high post, out of the mid post, and and then driving and reposting and doing just a ton of stuff with his brute strength and physicality that I don't really think there are too many teams equipped to, to handle. Like in that game against the Cavs that you mentioned, I mean, we just saw him take every single guy that they could throw at him and, and demolish them. Like Chetty Osman was seeing stars. Um, any of the guards that had to deal with him was, was in trouble and sent him to the foul line. Yeah. Uh, even like, I mean, Evan didn't really see too much of him. Neither did like Jarrett saw him a little bit, but both of them, I believe fouled him and sent him to the line. Like he's just kind of that I- idealistic version of a mismatch nightmare while also being more than that. And it's been really impressive along with the defense too. Um, and the biggest thing too, that we haven't even mentioned, like I mentioned the fouls, but he's getting to the line eight times a game, he's gotten the line eight times a game yeah. or more all four games already. And it feels replicable. Like it's not just, well, part of it is him playing, you know, like 35 plus minutes every game. But uh, yeah, he's cooking with grease right now. He's a top 10 player in the NBA without question for me. Yeah. So it's worth noting here, you bring up the idea of drives, right? So I'm looking at NBA.com stats page. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander and John Morant are at the top of the league. No surprise there with mm-hmm. drives. Uh, Pascal Siakam is averaging 15 drives per game this year uh the guys at the top of the league shay ja De'Aaron fox trey young devin booker donovan mitchell jalen brunson kevin porter jr jordan clarkson Cade cunningham anthony edwards and then you get to pascal siakam 
that's like the pick out the guy who looks different thing. Yeah. And then like you go right past them. It's Tyrese Halliburton, Bradley Beal, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard, James Harden, Drew Holiday, CJ McCollum, Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan, Gordon Hayward, Malcolm Brogdon, Jalen Green. Like you have to get to Franz Wagner at 11 and a half, who is like 30th in the league in drives to where you get to someone who is remotely similar in terms of size to Pascal Siakam and in terms of role to Siakam. The the drives are the thing. Like he's just been so, so much more aggressive uh, in being willing to attack the basket in the way that he is. Um, And and that's why I think that your point about the foul drawing is replicable at the end of the day. If you're going to be that aggressive consistently, I think you're going to live at the line, especially when you're that big of a mismatch problem and you can get a step on your guy consistently. So yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I think this is absolutely a um, a legit leap for Siakam. The, the thing that – have you kind of felt like Raptors fans are starting to turn – not turn on Nick Nurse, but, like, it felt like it was all positive. Like, just genuinely, like, all positive up until maybe late last year into this year. I've seen a lot more negative stuff about Nick Nurse than I ever have before. That's interesting. So I uh... – I, admittedly, I've I've been I've still been on Twitter a lot, but I think I've been less perusing Twitter, more just posting things yeah. on it to get my thoughts out. Um, it's in, in all honesty, like I I don't want to say I get it, um, but I do think I understand. Like just because I'm I'm I mean my girlfriend's Canadian, so I know a lot of people who are Raptors fans. Um, I get where some of the frustrations come from because uh, that GM survey came out. What was it? Two weeks ago. And Nick Nurse got voted as like the second most inventive head coach on offense in the league. Yeah, and I was I like, that. that is so far and away not true. Like, yeah. I, I think on one hand, it's just frustrating because uh, a lot of, and not saying us, but I think media in general has kind of uh, put Nurse on a pedestal. Like everything gets back to like, oh, well, he ran a box and one in the playoffs. Oh, he's so inventive. He's this, he's that. And I think in some ways it like, it really is undersold how freaking good this roster is. Like, I think there's been some underselling of, like you mentioned, like Pascal is underrated, but not of his own doing. I think that he just doesn't get highlighted enough. Like so often it's like, well, they just defend so well. And then Nick just schemes the hell out of the offense and they get by. And um, it's just not the case, man. Like this is a really good roster. Well, you know how, you know how it's easy to create mismatches like in six different spaces at once. Having a lot of having, guys who are six, eight yeah, or taller. <laughs> having guys that are six foot nine or taller that can handle the ball. Like to me, Masai is the guy here. This isn't this is disrespect Nick Nurse. I think he does a really good job of getting the team organized. They always know what they're trying to do offensively. They always know what their goals and rotations are defensively, right? Like no, nobody would deny that it's more you know like this offense in the half court looks like a stale clogged toilet sometimes and we need to be real about that as well Uh, I think he does a good job of trying to find those mismatches but I think that it often ends up being kind of like iso ball-y once he gets those mismatches right Um, the other thing that I see people complaining about with nurse is the minutes load that his stars get, you know, Maddie Canuck uh, over on Twitter. uh, Let's get his actual handle. Uh, Yeah. Maddie Canuck four thirty 
sent to us. Local, local writers won't do it. Need someone to tear Nick Nurse a new one for playing Fred Van Vliet and Siakam into the ground again. Look, I think every team would love to be able to not play their stars a ton of minutes. The problem right now, I actually agree with Nick Nurse and like trying to play them quite a few minutes right now, uh, if only because I think that they have to. Uh, this is a team that does not have a crazy amount of depth. Like Delano Banton is playing nine minutes a night. I think I saw like, did Malachi Flynn play a couple nights ago? Um, yeah, he played last night too. Yeah. Like, you know, Juan Hernan Gomez is playing real minutes and like shout out Wancho, but you know, I mean, are we sure Wancho? Yeah. yeah. Are we sure Wancho, Wancho should be in a rotation? Not the move that you'd want. Yeah. Yeah. Like our, just being real with it. Are we sure that Thad Young is a rotation player anymore? Like it's complicated. And I think that the Raptors really need to go out and probably get some more depth pieces before people start complaining about Nick nurse playing his starters minutes, because at the end of the day, like the Eastern conference is going to be hard this year. Like it's going to be hard to make a top six spot in the Eastern Conference, and to bank wins against Miami and to bank wins against, um, you know, Cleveland like they did early in the season, that's important. Like they banked a win against Miami without Scotty Barnes. Like I, I, I get playing your guys when you just don't have enough depth to account for it. Like I, I think that. This is almost like more, I don't want to say it's a failing of Masai Ujiri. It's more that I think that this team doesn't have a lot of depth and that probably does come back to building the roster essentially in a way that is, uh, that is so reliant on the starters is maybe the way to put it. Yeah. I, I think it's an interesting conundrum because uh, personally, like, I, I mean, this is going way back, but I don't, I don't think that they've done like not that Malachi Flynn has been amazing in the NBA, but I think you could see right when they drafted him, they didn't actually have a pick and roll big on the roster. I was like, what are we doing here? Like, I, Malachi Flynn is one of the best pick and roll players. Well, arguably, was the best pick and roll player in the country that year. Yeah, and it's like if you're drafting him to to just try and fit into the system, I'm not sure that that's the right move. You, so, you like, can't draft Malachi Flynn and not have him run ball screens. Exactly. And so my hope is that they'll run more stuff with him in Coloco and bench units whenever that is actually like something that they can work into games. Cause I imagine like with, with what they tend to do, it's a little bit mix and match for, for whatever game comes up. But even like we had, like I think Otto Porter Jr., that's going to be huge. He's going to play like 18, 20 minutes a game easily. Uh, having Scotty out, that makes it harder too. Like, but I think just looking around, like, honestly, Every team is playing their guys quite a few minutes to start the season. Like Brooklyn, yeah. I think all three of Brooklyn's starter, big big three, outside of Ben. So if we're considering Royce O'Neal part of the big three, um, love Royce, but yeah, no, uh, but yeah, like Royce, Katie, and Kyrie are all playing thirty six plus minutes. Yeah. Uh, Harden and Max are playing thirty eight minutes. Like the every team is playing their guys a lot. I do think because this has been a problem in the past, I am interested to see how it plays out. Um, but I do think that this team is a little bit deeper than it was last year and there's room for them to finagle some more young player development and just time in there. So I think it's much more of a conversation for me if this is happening 
a month in still if we're seeing like regular 39, 40, 40 minute games from guys. But for the most part, I think it's just, you know, we see this to start the year every year because you there's statistically if you win your first game and get off to a better start, it's just better for your team. Um, so TBD on this one. I agree. I'm not real worried about it right now. I think that they kind of have to play their guys at the end of the day. Like this yeah. is it. Like you to make the playoffs in the East, this Raptors team has to play Pascal Siakam 36 plus minutes a night. Period. Like it's yeah. just what it comes down to. The, the issue that I have is like, I mean, you look at the end of the bench. Like people complained about Boston's end of the bench coming into the year. The end of this Raptors bench, like for most of their games so far, has been like. uh Justin Champagny, Jeff Doughton, Ron Harper Jr. You know, Champagny had a couple of nice stretches last year that were okay, but like energy guy that can come in and like maybe like just like fuck shit up for five minutes at a time, right? Um, you know, Jeff Doughton's been a G League guy. Ron Harper Jr. is like a two-way rookie. I'll, I'll be honest with you, like I, I like I get why the Raptors want to invest minutes in Delano Banton. Uh, he is really interesting in terms of skill set and in terms of being able to pass at six foot nine. I don't know how effective Delano Banton is at this point as a basketball player. So you look at that, like, and then you have Wancho, who we kind of discussed previously. You have Malachi Flynn, that like your offense doesn't totally fit. I mean, that's what six or seven guys on your bench that you know you probably aren't going to get like a crazy amount of value about, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's tough too. Because especially with Delano, like outside of like the transition stuff is really enticing and he can do some things defensively that are interesting and he's gotten like a little bit more flexible. But again, like that's, I still think he's a little bit a ways away from being a real impact player. And maybe that changes this year as some development happens. But right now, like, yeah, especially without having like the consistent shot, like he's just not really... With what this team is right now, he's not ready to be a rotation player. But that's where yeah. it makes it interesting, like talking about, okay, how can you kind of gamble with being willing to play somebody eight to ten minutes a night and still getting them consistent minutes and, and roll and run? And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, but I'm in on the Raptors. This is a fun yes. team. Uh, this is going to be even more fun when Scotty Barnes gets back. Uh, you wanted to talk about a guy that has blown up. And we talked about Pascal Siakam in the East as one of, you know, the best players in the league. And certainly I would say De'Aaron Fox has been one of the best players in the league thus far. Uh, This has been, as you noted to me pre-show, his best stretch in the NBA by far. Uh, I want to give you the floor to talk about De'Aaron Fox, if only because the Kings are 0-3. It's it's not ideal right now. They've, you know, they've, they've had some tough games this was this was a schedule that i called out as they need to not get frustrated early in the season Mm -hmm. uh you know they played portland then la then at golden state they have memphis on thursday they have miami on saturday um then they have a big road trip where they do charlotte which could be a win and then at miami at orlando at golden state then cleveland lakers golden state again (laughs) It's yeah. just an absolute monster, monster schedule. Uh, Kings fans, like if this team starts, you know, like three and ten, don't jump ship. Like, please, just don't do it. There, there is time for this to get figured out. It's just that they're going to have to tread water early in the season. 
But the good news is that De'Aaron Fox, even against this difficult three-game stretch they've started with, looks really, really good, Mark. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just to hit on the Kings, too. Like, I I know 0-3 sucks, and that's not the start that they wanted. But just considering, like, this Blazers team is actually good. I don't think that this is a flash in the pan for no. I don't think that they're going to be a true title contender. But, like, Dame looks amazing. Anthony Simons, really good. That third quarter stretch yesterday was insane. Uh, and yeah. the defense is legit from them. Um I look at this team. Oh, go ahead. I don't I want to talk about the Kings? I don't know that I believe in the Blazers' defense yet. I, but we'll talk I, about I, that I, after. We'll, we'll talk about that eventually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that they even got back in the game against the 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 Warriors what was that yesterday or no? It was the night before. Um, to me, that's that's just not a typical Kings thing. Like I think with what that game looked like, it could have easily been a runaway. Um, the Clippers game was really promising too. Again, like I think that there's just things I need to see them figure out. Like I'm tired of KZ Akpala starting, frankly. It's a Keith Bogan starter thing. I love Keith Bogan's. KZ Akpala has had interesting-ish flashes in the NBA. Just start your guys who are good. I'm sorry. Like I need to see that happen. But point being, De'Aaron Fox, this has been probably the best three-game stretch of his career, just about. And he's playing defense again. Like this Kings defense is not awesome. They don't have the personnel to be an awesome defense. But they are trying. They are active. And De'Aaron's been a big part of that because so often last year and the year before, he was just there on defense. He would occasionally make a rotation uh, for a steal, and that would kind of be it. Um, would get blown up at the point of attack all the time with die on screens. He's fighting over screens again. Like, he is making – like, I've always said, like, he's very comparable to me to – like, the way that he needs to play, I should say, is Victor Oladipo. Like, be really active off the ball – He's not going to be somebody who's going to be a lockdown defender on the ball most of the time just because of what his strength is. But that's been really but, good. That, and oh, by boy. the way, like I think you might be too young to remember this, but like him coming up as a prospect in high school. I am too young to remember this. Yeah. Like that was a part of his brand. Like he was oh, yeah, like, like aggressive yeah. defender, competitive, tough, like coming out of Texas, like one of those guys that like it, it was weird that he never I don't want to say that he didn't become like a plus defender, but it was weird that like we saw moments from him where it was like, oh yeah, like I don't really give a shit about yeah, defense. just completely. That was just like ability as a defender was like wild. Yeah. That Especially was against too, his brand. Yeah, because like his first like year or two in the league, he was he wasn't like amazing, but he yeah. came in and played defense. Like it wasn't like he was just shitting the bed in that you know last two years. Luke Walton. That's a that's a whole other story. But uh, yeah, the offense has really impressed me the most. Like I have never been like the biggest fan of De'Aaron as a decision maker, but I think yeah. his overall offensive process has been really good right now. Like he's shooting so well from mid range and that's been a part of his game. Like getting to, to that the last two years has really been a, it's been, it's at the level where it's like good enough where I think you are comfortable with it, but it's always kind of like teetering on it. Um, but he's been so active in transition. He's been really good as a shooter he isn't turning down looks i don't think he's going to shoot 46 45 from three for the rest of the year but again it's just overall process way he's getting to the paint and and making things happen like i'm i have questions about how they're using sabonis right now i want to see more of them actually involving him and not just making him a roll big but fox has been so good that i i i really am pretty encouraged about what this king king's team can be not that I think they're going to be a playoff team, but I think in terms of just figuring things out with what he looks like right now, this is exactly what they need. Yeah. The Sabonis thing is weird because you would think that Sabonis and his ability to facilitate 
would actually kind of really help make up for the Fox idea of him struggling with decision-making at times. Like Mm -hmm. it should free up, free up like De'Aaron to do a little bit more, just zoom downhill and go. Um, And we've seen some of that. Like there's been like a decent amount of dribble handoff stuff. Like, I don't know that I would like categorize him as a roll big. You know what I mean? Well, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm the basket, full on like... roll big. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, it hasn't yeah. been full roll big. It's more just like uh, I was talking about this with Steve Jones Jr. the other day, actually, and uh, he brought it up on Dunker Spot today with him, with him and the guys Duncan. But it's like I just think overall, there it's it's an interesting discussion to have in terms of talking about the utility of of elbow playmaking. Um, but I do think that there's like a lot is being brought up about his finishing concerns. And part of that has just been where they're spacing him. Like they've been putting him in the dunker spot in the low post a lot. And I think that's where you see it be a problem because for the most part with Sabonis being effective as a finisher, it's him getting a little bit of a running start, getting him to to be able to face up more and attack. And for the most part, they're just kicking the ball to him in the low post. And like he can make good decisions and playmaking out of there, but you're really neutering a lot of his ability to actually be a scorer and to get the most out of playmaking. You got to be able to score and be impactful doing it. So I am interested to see how that balances out. But Kevin Herter has been sick too. I, I've really yeah. liked his fit there. Well, and, and so like here's the other thing: like you look at the lineups that Sabonis is most played with. So he's played 25 minutes with the like weirdo Akpala lineup where nobody guards KZ and mm-hmm. I don't really know why he is there. Um, you know, then he's played 10 minutes with the Keegan Murray for KZ lineup that has just bludgeoned to teams and has looked phenomenal in the minutes they've played. Um, they've the, the best that's here. Here's, here's the best encapsulation of if there's a reason to be worried about the Kings, this is it. Uh, and look, I know that Keegan Murray missed the first game, but like in two games, the De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes, Keegan Murray, Demontis Sabonis lineup has played 11 minutes together. What are we doing here? We need more of that, like, like ASAP. And this Keegan has looked, I mean, he was group, awesome in preseason, but he's looking so good. Yeah. And that group is like beating the shit out of teams together. Like th- that team, that's the team that needs to play as many minutes as possible for the Kings. I get that. Like, it's hard sometimes to, you know, you have to stagger minutes and you have to figure some things out, play that lineup, period. That is how you will be successful if you're Sacramento. Um, but then like you look, you know, his third most used line used lineup involves, you know, Terrence Davis, De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, guys that like don't get a ton of respect as shooters. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, you know, what a fourth of his, or a, you know, what 40%, I'm sorry, not a fourth, 40% of his minutes uh, are being played with like three non-shooters out there, two non-shooters plus out there. And I think it's hard for Demonis to get that head of steam that he needs sometimes mm-hmm. to be able to like, cause his whole thing is he needs to lower the shoulder to create space and then go up for like the little flip lefty shot. Right. That's where he's most effective as a scorer. I think that he just needs that little bit of extra space that Keegan will provide to be able to be successful. I think that, you know, once we see Keegan Murray move into the starting lineup, which like, just do it. (laughs) Yeah. I don't care if he's a three or not, just play him there. (laughs) Play him period. He looks great. Like play him. Um, That's your most effective lineup. It gives you real spacing. It's incredibly difficult for opposing teams to stop. It helps everyone. If you play Keegan Murray more often, 
with that De'Aaron Fox, Kevin Herter, Harrison Barnes, Demonis Sabonis group. Um, yeah, I think this team, there, there's no reason to be alarmed at this point. I know that Demonis, you know, maybe hasn't been amazed, amazing so far, but like you, you need Demonis in those lineups because, you know, you kind of look at like the guys on the court, like, Keegan Murray, not like an incredibly fast processor. We really like Keegan and he's, you know, really good scorer and he's polished and he is poised, but like doesn't read the play and like make quick passing reads. Right. Mm. De'Aaron Fox is like not the craziest processor of the game. Um, You know, Kevin Herter is like kind of a ball movement guy, which really helps. But Harrison Barnes has never been that guy. He's more of like, I'm going to take a couple of dribbles and stop the offense real quick, or I'm just going to stop and shoot as a catch and shoot guy. So they need to involve Sabonis a lot, I think, at the elbows, not just like occasionally and then roll him to the rim. But like, I, I think that they need just a little bit more like of the Sabonis high post playmaking than what we see. 100%. Because I think, to me, part of the reason why, like, I understood why people uh, were frustrated by the Halliburton trade, but also just, like, I mean, you know, in terms of what the Kings organization is and what some of the uh, actual um, difficulties of building there are. Like, I understood the idea of it, but if if they're not actually going to fully lean into it, then I'm like, okay, well, then this was stupid. But, well, you know, I have... I've, I uh, it's th- again like you're saying it's three games, so I'm 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 hoping that things turn around for that, and I'm confident. Yeah, yeah, and and look, like <laughs> I don't want to talk about the Tyrese Halliburton deal because yeah. <laughs> this is a positive King space, and I don't need yes. to do that. Um, but I I do, and this is a team that you know currently is averaging 27 assists per game. Like they're not like bereft of ball movement, but I, I do think that the offense, especially when one of those five guys is not on the court and instead it's Malik Monk, Terrence Davis, it can get a bit clogged from time to time. Yeah. And having more ball movement, especially and like also when you take Demonis Sabonis out and you put in Rashawn Holmes, like then you really start to see it a little bit more. So I think that you know this is a team that could probably use a bit more playmaking. But I'm in on the Kings. Everything I've seen so far says that this team has much more upside than the 0-3 start looks like. Uh, everything I've seen from this team says this fan base should not get frustrated by a tough start. Uh, the schedule is just what the schedule is, and it might look ugly to start. And then they're going to get into an easier stretch, and I think they're going to win games because they can actually like really, really play offensively. Definitely. So let's uh, let's dive into this next little thing we want to talk about. But before we get in to the Ben Simmons experience, let's uh, let's take a quick commercial break. All right, Mark. One of the guys that everyone was most excited to see this season was Ben Simmons. If only because we haven't seen him for a long time, right? I mean, look, in this part of the world, obviously people were interested to see what Ben Simmons would look like. Ben Simmons has a fraught relationship with the Australian uh, people. And I will note, I've been a bit disappointed by the Australian media in the way that they have covered this to start. Uh, it feels like they are salivating for any P 
piece of content that is negative toward Ben Simmons. And I do not like that. Uh, having said that, the Ben Simmons start has been not great. Let's go with. Uh, he doesn't look quite the same athletically as what he did in Philadelphia throughout his early years of his development. And how much of that do we think is like a potential back injury? How much of that do we think is him just being kind of a different dude? How much of it do we think is just like getting back into NBA game shape is harder than what people recognize. And like, it it can be difficult early in the season for guys. Uh, What do we think of this Ben Simmons start? And we'll talk about the nets in general as we get into it. Yeah, I think uh, to me, it's kind of a culmination of everything, but mostly to me, I think I think it's just rust, to be honest, like um, not to totally give him a pass. um, But I do think you can look at this and I think anybody who was expecting him to be back to, uh, you know, top 15, top 20 player Ben Simmons right off rip. I think that was a mistake in 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 critical thinking. Um, geez, that's not way harsher than I intended to, but, uh, yeah, like I, I just, I, yeah. I don't think that at least for me, no, I agree with you though. expectation. Yeah. Um, and part of the issue too, I think this just exposes a lot of the holes in, in, in the next roster. Like this is a talented roster, but I think you can look at this and be like pretty clear. And I mean, the, the defensive talent isn't terrible, but I just think the idea of what they are def- defensively, if you're relying on Ben to be quote unquote, like your stopgap for everything, and you want to be a switch everything basketball team, which isn't what they're doing right now. Um, this roster is not, there, there's no rim protection on this roster outside Nick Claxton. And even then, like, I think it's like Nick is much more to me. Like he's going to make plays coming weak side. Like it's not him being a primary rim protector. Ben has never been that guy as, as a help side rim protector. Like he, it's much more what he can do as an off ball rotator. Um, like Dayron Sharp hasn't looked particularly awesome on defense, but I think a lot more should be made of how bad the guards have been getting around screens. Like the way that Memphis played yesterday, they're setting ball screens like four feet above the line. Uh, Dayron's coming. They're playing more like center field than straight up drop, but he, he hasn't navigated particularly well. But then again, like they just have not been able to contain anything. And again, part of that is on on Ben, but it's not necessarily him getting blown up like, there was that play yesterday where Ja came off, I think, right slot um, in the second quarter. Um, KD stunts with Simmons coming around the screen, and Sharp is like, shoot, probably like three feet in front of Ja. Three feet, three feet in front of Ja. Ja just like dribbles the ball, like you know, like six inches off the ground for two or three seconds. Comes up, it's a floater. Like he's just been that good. But also, like, yeah, I think a lot of this is they're going to have to do some things differently scheme wise. And it's been, it's been pretty gross. They need to do some things differently. I don't even want to say engagement wise, but like Desmond Bain just like, you know, would, you know, catch the ball, get rid of it and then back cut. He did that like three or four times yesterday. And it was just like, wait, why? Like, why is this happening? <laughs> like, how how are we uh, how how are we missing this? Like, where are the help defenders? Where where is the engagement off the ball? Just move with him off the ball and look. I get it. Desmond Bain's a tough guard. Mm-hmm. Like, he is a difficult and annoying player to defend because he constantly moves. He's constantly trying to get open, constantly back cutting, constantly running off of different actions, constantly, you know, coming up from the corner to the wing just to make it uh, annoying on the defense, like in lifts plays like it's hard. 
I get it. But I think that this goes toward, in some respect, the idea that this team just does not have a lot of chemistry because they haven't played a lot of yeah. minutes together yet. Like bringing in Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons is going to be your primary defender uh, in a lineup with Kevin Durant, Royce O'Neal, Nick Claxton, Kyrie Irving. Uh your second best defender in that lineup is Royce O'Neal, another guy that's brand new. Uh, your third best defender in that lineup, look, is probably Kevin Durant. And you can make a case that Kevin is second. But like Kevin isn't going to take on like primary defensive assignments early in the season because you shouldn't put that on him. Hmm. Um, and then the fourth guy there is Nick Claxton. And Nick Claxton is going from being like a limited minutes guy to being the starting center and, you know, averaging 30 to 35 minutes a night. So that's tricky. Like having that many new pieces playing more minutes than they've played before. It is hard. Like it is hard to just immediately have that chemistry and those rotations down. And I think that this team just needs to play together. Having said that, like there are real structural concerns on their perimeter. I was really hoping that like Royce O'Neal would help with that. The thing with Royce O'Neal though, is that he, I think, the last year and a half particularly got a little bit more credit than Royce is a solid defender. Royce is not like a scheme changing defender. Royce got a lot of credit for being Utah's best perimeter defender, but like that was, you know, the best of a bad case scenario in Utah, Mm. right? Where he's playing next to Donovan Mitchell and he's playing next to Mike Conley, who's a bit older at this point. And they just needed someone to be able to step up and take those minutes. And Royce is willing to do it. And he's willing to fight defensively. But like he's not like a crazy, crazy impact defender. Um, the thing with Royce is that he's a pretty good shooter as well. And like finding guys who can defend solidly and shoot at a solid level while being able to make quick read passes, that's valuable. And Royce is a good player. But like he's not going to change your scheme defensively. Ben is the guy that can change your scheme defensively. But then you kind of can't play Ben with like a non spacing shooter like Nick Claxton is and expect it to like totally work. It, it feels like the lineups for Brooklyn are still difficult to figure out in terms of like, which ones are going to work, I guess. Yeah. The biggest thing that I want to see is just play Kessler Edwards. Um, I know he wasn't perfect last year, yeah. Um but he gave them good minutes, and I think you. I mean, it's a like like you're just mentioning. Like it's it's similar to Royce. Like I think he has a higher defensive upside than Royce currently, just given it has more length, uh, is a better athlete than where Royce is at right now. Um, if if Kessler's hitting shots, he's good enough to to stick in yeah. there for for as many minutes a game as he played last year, like playing like 15 minutes a game, and they need him for lineup versatility. Like this team, outside of Ben and KD, um, they're really small in what they can put out on the wings. Um, so I think I really want to see them tap into that. Maybe they're just because it's early, they want to get some of their guys who have a little bit more rust playing time. But I think yeah. him only playing four minutes is kind of wild to me. I do like the idea of having Yuta Watanabe out there, but it's kind of the same thing it's always been like. If the shot is not going to fully be there, okay, it's harder to see his full upside on in, you know, playing on an NBA roster. I've been really surprised that Edmund Sumner has been playing as much as he has. Like, not even that he, not shade of Edmund Sumner, but it's like I just that he's been over Kessler has been surprising. Like maybe he just had a better training camp. I don't know. But um, as far as actual like lineup construction stuff, yeah, it just makes a lot more sense to have him out there and and figure some things out from there. 
at the end of the day, the hinge point here is Ben Simmons. Of course. If Ben Simmons is what he has been through the first three games, they should probably pretty strongly consider breaking this team up and, and like moving Kyrie before free agency and figuring out what to do with Kevin in the offseason and going from there. Um, ben, ben has been a high turnover guy that teams just are not giving respect to like as an offensive player, right? They, they don't care when he has the ball and that makes it really hard. It makes it really, really hard for this offense to work conceptually uh, in the way that we want it to. He had, and I will say this too, even beyond the fact that Ben Simmons is getting the rust off in terms of his injuries and getting back to playing in game shape, He's also adjusting to a new role that he's never played before. Mm-hmm. Like this is somewhat new for him to not be like at the very least the number two option or number one perimeter option on a team. You know, you can go back and say like those last couple of years and or the, that last year, particularly in Philly, he wasn't their best perimeter option, but he, he was treated like he was right. Like right now he's not treated like that. He's treated like he is, not an afterthought offensively, but certainly the third guy and they're not trying to get him touches. They're trying to get Kyrie touches. They're trying to get Kevin Durant touches because of course they are. Those guys are hall of famers, but Ben is adjusting to a new paradigm. I think in terms of what he is being asked to do and there's going to be, there will be growing pains with that. Um, I think they could probably do better of like getting him even more involved as a screener than what he currently is. And like part of that is that it's hard to involve him as a screener as much when you have Nick Claxton, who's going to be screening and rim running constantly on the court. Right. Um, It's kind of like the problem that the Hawks run into from time to time with John Collins and Clint Capella in terms of like getting the most out of both of those guys when both of them, like only one guy is coming up to set a screen unless you're setting like a stagger in transition or something like that. Right. Um, So it's, it's a weird fit right now in Brooklyn. It feels like they haven't quite figured out how to make all of the pieces work together yet. Um, But Ben has also not looked so good to where you want to like make it work around him, but you also kind of have to make it work around him. Otherwise this team doesn't have the upside. This feels like the most complicated situation in the NBA to me, bar none in terms of trying to figure out all of the different things that the Steve Nash and that coaching staff have to finagle. Yeah. I mean, on top of the fact that they almost got fired in the off season. Yeah. It's, what a what a weird team, man. I uh I think in some ways, like I mean, I'm right there with you. I think in some ways I'm almost uh like less worried than what consensus seems to be and and more worried. Like that's that's a Yeah, I was gonna say, like, like I was less I feel like I was less worried than the consensus was coming into the year, and now I'm like more worried after having yeah. seen them play a few games. Exactly. Like I think in some ways a lot of it is okay, this is this is stuff that's fixable with time, but also it's stuff that's fixable with time. Like, okay, if they really want to fix it in time, I think that they can. Like they they had that really weird stretch last year, and again, granted different personnel, but they were Brooklyn was like the a top five defense for like the first month and a half of the season last year. Part of it was shooting variants, but also like they were just playing confidently. And honestly, I think it doesn't take that much to play competent defense. It's just buy-in and communication. 
Um, but that's if you're this team, that's the yeah. most difficult thing to get right now. So I agree that Ben's going to be a lot of it, but also, yeah, like it's got to be everyone because you cannot, they're giving up 127 points per 100 possessions right now, which is, I mean, it's 30th in the league. That's terrible. It's three games, but yeah, I'm hoping to see a lot better from them moving forward. Yeah. I mean, at what point do you panic? I don't think either of us are at like panic stage with this yet because it's just so early in the season. Right. Yeah. But at what point are you like actually panicked about this? If you're the nets. Uh, Well, looking at their schedule right now, they play Milwaukee and Dallas on a back to back starting tomorrow. Um, That's fun for them. If you're, if you are a better, whatever Dallas's team total is in that game. Oh boy. I would be yeah. uh I would be looking at that one. I would be looking at Brooklyn Nets coming off of a back-to-back against Dallas. That's going to be that's going to be 140. If they're still looking like this by second or third game in November, I think I'd be pretty worried. Um like I mean that that gives them at least a five game cushion to kind of figure shit out because they get two games against Indiana across three days, which I think for anybody that's going to be a nice little test of like, wow, we can actually kind of figure our stuff out now. Like the Sixers just had, um, again, I think I really want to see more of just shaking things out with Ben. I need to see more from coaching, frankly. Like, I mean, that's been an issue last year too. Um, not to put, again, not to put everything on to your national coaching staff, but you got to figure out the lineups and figure out ways to, to, Say, I mean, I feel like in some ways you kind of do have to force feed Ben a little bit almost because you, you need to find ways to force him to be aggressive. Like he did have – it feels weird because like you're applauding like one aggressive take, but he did have a finish through contact yesterday. Um, but again, like I'm like he's he's a basketball player. Like finishing through contact is a natural thing that I want to see happen from anybody. Um, it just feels like we have 8 million questions and I'm hoping that they get answered pretty soon because it's weird questions to have. And just statistically, these are the biggest things that worry me, right? So when you play Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton together, the idea is that you're probably trading off a bit of offense for defense, right? Yeah. Uh, currently, the Nick Claxton, Ben Simmons lineups uh, with the other three starters, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Royce O'Neal, those two teams, or that team has played 37 minutes together. They have a 95 offensive rating and a 126 defensive rating. Uh, you look at Ben Simmons's next most common lineup. It is uh, Irving, Morris, O'Neal, Claxton. 107 offensive rating, 123 defensive rating. Uh, Durant, Harris, O'Neal with Simmons and Sharp in the front court. 142 defensive rating. Uh, you know, you keep going down the list here. You replace Sharp with Claxton with the starters. 115 defensive rating. It, it's not just the offense for Ben that's been the problem so far. Mm-hmm. It's that they haven't figured out the defensive side enough. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, they, I mean, they really got to figure something out there. Uh, it, yeah. And they've defended better when Ben is off the court is like the real worry there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could just be a simple matter of continuity or it could be a simple matter of this is a real problem. Um, but it's three games in. You don't want to overreact. It's just something worth tracking here moving forward. Definitely. Um, okay. Let's go with the Pelicans. Let's talk about how New Orleans has looked through their opening week. 
Uh, Zion Williamson has a hip contusion already, which is disappointing, uh, but obviously like not something I think to be all that concerned about. Um, man, the Pelicans have been fun though. That that first that yeah. first game, it took me a while to watch the uh, Nets Pelicans game just because I had a lot going on. But man, was that a fun game? That was just it was, awesome. that was just Zion just like bludgeoning everyone. This team, you know, getting the most out of its depth in comparison to a team that doesn't have a ton of depth right now in Brooklyn. This is the the Pelicans are going to be like my favorite team to watch this year. I feel like, yeah, without question. Um, I mean, part of what I'm excited about tonight too, like you mentioned, the depth, like. Bi's out as well with uh with concussion uh or in in concussion protocol so hopefully he's able to get back from that especially too because like he has looked incredible like he's looked so good um Herb Jones is out tonight as well um I do not remember what he's out for um but that means Trey Murphy the third season and he's looked really good to start the year too like I I know you and I were gushing about him before we got on the pod but I this this whole team in general. One, one thing I wanted to ask you, how have you felt about the defense? Because I feel like I've deferred with how some people felt about the defense. Coming into the season, I just was not worried about the defense to the extent that I think it's been made out to be. I think as a playoff thing, you can be more worried about it. But for the regular season, I was – I mean, Willie Green put together a really good team scheme last year. They executed it. They definitely have uh, – like especially with the starting lineup, they can have some personnel questions. But – um, with what they can do throughout the game, mixing and matching things lineup wise, I just don't worry about it that much considering what their principles are and how well they, they play them. Um, so where are you at with that right now? I'm probably a bit more worried than okay. you are. I think uh, Zion looks Zion looks a bit better in terms of like reading and reacting to what's happening on the court. Uh, than he did his first couple of years. I still think that like the closeouts are heavy and it's just kind of easy to attack him. Yeah. And that ends up getting the team into rotation and then they're scrambling and that can be a little bit complicated. I think that um, you you kind of look at the way this team is constructed. They're going to play Zion a lot with Jonas. And when you're having like, you're playing a floor spacer on Zion. You're just going to have to go and outscore that guy on the opposite end. I think I, I really liked the way that the Pelicans came back in the fourth quarter against the jazz, but I also think that the jazz, you know, kind of brought up an idea of how difficult it could be for this team to guard in space uh, mm. on a consistent basis with Jonas with Zion in the game and Jonas like only played 24 minutes. Like they did a lot of like the Larry Nance, like playing small minutes in that game. And I think that was a really smart idea. Um, but I, I get, I, it's going to be a process I think throughout the year. And I think that early in the season, it's probably going to be a lot of high scoring games for the Pelicans. The thing is that like Jonas is one of the five or six, you know, best offensive centers in the NBA. In my opinion, he's just able to bludgeon you at the rim. So consistently mm-hmm. as well as playing pick and roll. Zion is obviously one of the 10 best players offensively. As you mentioned, Brandon Ingram looks phenomenal. And I know that, you know, he uh, only played 11 minutes in that last game against the jazz. I think they win that game against the jazz. If he plays a full game. Um, and then CJ McCollum looks phenomenal as well. So like uh, the offense is going to be great. Like I, I, all of my previous concerns about spacing, anything like that, the offense is going to be phenomenal because, you know, Trey, Trey Murphy, as you mentioned, looks great. 
Herb Jones has gotten off to a slow start, but like you have to hope that he can bring some of the defensive, you know, ability and ability to read uh, the game and play at a high level off the ball and get deflections and create transition opportunities. But in terms of the defense, I I have more concerns, I think, than you do, especially early. And they're going to have to figure out uh, how to account for the fact. And this is something we're going to talk about the Timberwolves with the Timberwolves later, um, even to a greater extent. They're going to have to figure out what to do when teams play a spacer on like that is guarding Zion and that Zion is guarding and he is forced into a heavy closeout situation. Cause the other thing with Zion is he has this weird uh, tendency to like, you know, kind of sink pretty heavily into the paint because he likes to try and block shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it leads to heavier closeouts where he has to like really run out. It feels like um, th- they need to like really get him locked in to like staying with those shooters, I think from time to time, but anytime teams run him off of actions, I think it gets even a little bit harder for him. And on top of it, another guy that Zion is so good that the numbers just look amazing, but also, you know, a guy that is probably working his way back into the game shape to some extent in the NBA. Yeah, no, I think it's a good point. And even like, I, I thought in the first two games, he looked a lot better on the perimeter defensively, but totally agree. Like in the, in that jazz game, like he looked just a lot more slow footed, um, especially on, like you mentioned on the closeouts, like he's kind of doing that hop thing, which is yeah, like always a little bit awkward to see. Um, I don't know. I and just, here's maybe, the thing, maybe, like the, yeah. the, the two teams they played early, like Brooklyn didn't really put a ton of pressure on him because mm-hmm. um, they just have guys that you kind of hide him on. And then the Hornets, you know, the, God love the Hornets right now. They're working hard, but you know, PJ Washington is like a pretty easy guard for him. Cause PJ doesn't run off of like a crazy number of off ball actions. Right. So when, when you put him in total space, like Utah can, it gets more complicated. And I think that's why, like if I was a Pelicans fan, I would have a little bit of concern moving into the playoffs with this roster, but you know, that's not the playoffs. I think this team's going to win 50 games at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, let's, I mean, transitioning to the offense, though, and kind of a bun of the two, talking about the Utah game. Walker Kessler was really good in that game, man. Like, he wasn't yeah. perfect. Like, great. He's a rookie, but he, like, absolutely stonewalled Zion and, and, and JV a couple of times. The, the rim protection is overall been really impressive for him. Just wanted to give him a quick shout out. But um, one of the things that I've most enjoyed about this Pels team is that it hasn't really felt my turn, your turn at all. Like it really feels yeah. like they've blended all all of what they can do together, and and I think to me like that's one of the things I look for the most to start the season from teams like having okay, are you able to get your best players working in actions that that get the most out of their combined gravity? I think I look at this team and so often like they're able to get the most out of having Bi and CJ and Zion and JV out on the out at the same time. And I actually think in some ways, like Willie almost thinks too much yeah. into his lineup versatility. Like I think, and, and this is not an easy problem to solve either. Yeah. Like this is a complicated group to make work together. And Willie green looks great doing it right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I think almost even sometimes like he leans too much into having lineup versatility. Like it's good to have it, but like I sometimes like he's willing to just have like just cyan out there or just bi out there. And I'm like, no man, I think, I want to see him having more of like at least two of, of, e- of each of the big four out there. Um, yeah. But overall, like, yeah, I mean, I'm just so impressed with this offense because what Zion does, like um, I think the best way to put it is almost like buffering what, what, what the margin for error is for some of the role players on the roster. It's what makes it 
easier to play a guy like Herb in my not that Herb is bad. Like I think with what the offense started out as, but just more in terms of talking about like I think Najee Najee Marshall is a better example because like Najee had a really good rookie year, obviously coming in as an unsigned guy um, or two way. I can't remember. Um, he was a two way, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, but then last year Najee really struggled. And I think part of it, a large part of it, was. I mean, granted, he's not a great shooter. He sometimes has it in from outside, but he's a good driver, especially off second side actions. Continuing play. When you don't have Zion out there and you don't have that level of gravity, like obviously B.I. and C.J. have gravity, but Zion is, I mean, he's different. Like when you have somebody who can really impact the defense like that, you just give that much more margin for error. And I think you can get, extract more of the the positive things that, that a Najee Marshall can bring to the team without you know being quite as hindered by some of uh some of the spacing issues and i mean just overall i think that the ability that this team has to to not be stagnant offensively even without not always having like the greatest shooting personnel is really encouraging and like jose alvarado's look good from deep too again early but like he's hitting threes off ghost screens now like that's not stuff that i was very accustomed to him doing last year um i, I don't know that's going to continue but uh, again like i think overall i'm just really enticed by what this team is doing offensively yeah you know it's it's going to be interesting i think the thing that i underrated not underrated but i think i i think i forgot maybe to like 10 percent of an extent is zion's gravity is immense like you can't sink back on him really on defense like if you don't get early contact on him and he has the ball, you are fucked. Like if you don't get him early, he just gets downhill so fast that it's over. Like if you, like if he's a ball handler and you play like drop coverage against him, he is going to try and go through you. And most of the time he's going to be successful because he's the strongest, most explosive player in the NBA. You're right. Walker Kessler did like a pretty good job against it. But my guess is the next time the Utah Jazz played the uh, New Orleans Pelicans, that's probably not going to go as well for Walker Kessler. Because the other thing that Zion does is he really does a great job of adjusting um, to the way rim protectors play him after a certain point. Yep. And it's just really, really hard, I think, to account for. You know, everyone talks about no shooting, no shooting, Zion can't shoot, etc. But he actually kind of has to get treated like a shooter in the way that you have to guard him like relatively tightly. Otherwise, it's over and it's just kind of curtains. Like if he's in a pick and roll, you can't drop like eight feet off of him like you can someone like Herb Jones. If you do, he's getting ahead of steam and he's going to beat you to the spot. Yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, like when you have him bringing the ball up in transition too, like one of the things I love, like this is the nerd out on, but like I love diverse diversification of ball handlers. Like having part of like what I loved about the Bulls last year was how much they leaned into Io DeSumo bringing the ball up. Because yeah. again, like you have a guy who not really a point guard, he was more of a combo coming out of out of Illinois, but he has like that real ability to, okay, I can generate a quick paint touch because of this, the head of steam I can generate in transition. Obviously, Zion different, but again, like you make it, okay, well, we're, we're having our primary defenders probably on Brandon Ingram because Brandon Ingram is a 6'8 wing scorer who can pass the shit out of the ball too. Same thing with CJ. Like, right. But again, like you have to pick up Zion early. Otherwise, that's 
not just paint touch, like that's paint destruction, but um, yeah, <laughs> there's just, the, just the, the overall roster construction. It's so funky, but it's so fun too. And like, we haven't even talked about TM three that much. Like he's, he's making strides, man. Like not that I think he's, he's the most improved this year, but he's a little bit more flexible. Like his screen navigation looks better on defense. Um, it wasn't perfect, but like he snaked the dribble and, and took a floater on offense. I'm like, I didn't expect him to do that. This a, this early B just in general. Um, and the shooting, like he's just, He's going to shoot everything and shoot it well. And his second jump, too, I continue to be really impressed with. Like, his rebounding has been nuts. Like, as good as um, as Zion's second jump is, like, the way that Trey attacks the glass, like, I tweeted this out the other day. He's going to give – I mean, Greg Brown's probably not going to play enough, but, like, that's why I make it per 75. Per 75 minutes, I'm not sure anybody's going to jump more in the NBA this year than, than Trey Murphy the third. Like, <laughs> it, he's going to be up there. Um, so, yeah, I mean – this this whole roster, man, it's fun. I love it. I, I love this roster so much. I was worried about how it all would fit, but I love all of the individual players on it. I have fewer concerns about how it's all going to fit. I think they're going to win 50 games, like I said. I think yep. this is going to be an awesome team. Um, Yeah, I love Trey Murphy. I got so much shit from Pelicans fans ranking Trey Murphy ahead of Herb Jones in the redraft I did. Trey Murphy's a stud, man. He's Here, so here's good. the thing about Trey Murphy that I think people like don't understand. Trey Murphy, like up until four or five years ago, was like six foot three and then had like an enormous growth spurt where like his body elongated. And like, I think that he still like might be growing a little bit Um, because I think he's listed now at like six foot ten or something like that. Um, And I think he was like six foot eight, six foot nine at Virginia. And like he looks like an inch taller or so than he was at Virginia. And I think that to an extent, he is still figuring out how to use his body a bit. Mm -hmm. And once he figures that out and once his body fills out after it's like elongated over the last five years, his body's going to get wider at some point as opposed to going upward. And it's going to be really hard to deal with him. It's going to be really, really hard to deal with him on both ends. Um, Let's talk about one of the other great roster experiments in the NBA, the Minnesota Timberwolves. What have you thought of this grand too big experiment uh, with Rudy Gobert and Carl Towns thus far? The Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, I believe, are two and two. Let me pull up. A yeah, no, that's correct. They have both their wins to OKC, if I remember correctly. Oh, wait, no, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, both OKC. Both of them are OKC. Um, they lost to the Spurs and they lost to the Jazz. This has Top not been the most. The West, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This uh, has not been the most difficult schedule for Minnesota yeah. early, and they've started two and two. Like, not all two and twos are created equally. Toronto's two and two, where they've beaten Miami and Cleveland, is different than Minnesota's two and two, where they have two wins over Oklahoma City and have losses to um, uh, Utah and san antonio yeah this team on one hand like i was expecting bumps early to be honest like not to loud myself but i was a i mean well not losing to the jazz and spurs that i was not expecting especially in the ways that they did it but i was expecting them to come out and really take some time to figure things out um it's funny because I'm a lot less worried than it being too big and more about their overall decision-making. I think that the decision-making was an issue at times last year, especially in the half court and especially early. It's really been a little bit frustrating to watch. Um, I think on one hand, like what made cat so dynamic last year was him figuring out the drives from the perimeter at his size was like pretty wild. I mean, cause he went from 
he was launching threes early in the year. Like he was taking like eight or nine per game over the first couple months. And then he finally was just like, all right, I'm just going to drive the shit out of the ball. I think he was only taking four or five threes per game in the last couple months of the season. But he was um, similar like we talked about with Pascal early. Like he was in like the top 15, top 20 in drives per game to close the year last year, was doing stuff, you know, hitting stuff off the dribble um, as a passer and really just impacting the game by being 6'11 and, and driving like few players can really defend. Um, yeah. There's been a lot of awkwardness with Rudy being in the dunker spot and him driving in leading to a lot of really awkward passes, uh, a lot of awkward turnovers. Um, I think that's going to get figured out in time. To me, I'm more interested to see how they figure things out with with D'Lo and Ant because I think they really need the like the D'Lo and, uh, and, and Rudy pick and roll has to be a staple. A, because you have to get D'Lo going. Like D'Lo was as important as he was defensively being a communicator last year and and being able to to organize things like they need him to be a more effective scorer this year because that was an issue in the playoffs. And for a team like to me, if this team doesn't win a playoff series, I do think I don't love calling things a failure. But I think if if you go out and you make that trade and you don't want a playoff series this year, that's that's a failure to me. Um, I think that they have to figure out what that half court process is, because right now and like and somebody who I've always been a little bit like his half court decision-making and processing can be frustrating to watch at times. And when you mix that with the way that he and D'Lo play it, and then you add in cat because like with cat, like I love cat, but he's somebody who's very much like he makes good passes more than somebody I would call a good passer. Um, like he can do some, some hub things and, and, and playmaking as a DHO guy. But again, like some of the passes that he'll make, you're just like, what? is this like he tries to go for the, <laughs> he tries to go for the flashy things a lot and i think yeah. he, he and dilo in that same vein um so i think to me like that's where a lot of my issues are right now like just in terms of overall um finding their kind of hierarchy in the half court has felt weird yes. like it's been very very much so it's either going through dilo or going through Ant. like it has not very very much felt like there's any kind of uh flow in the offense right now and again like i think to a degree, I expected that, um, but it's been like the the defense has been more bothersome to me with what I've seen from just the transition defense in, in general. Well, like, yeah, let, let's talk about the offense first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because it feels like so. The two games that Minnesota has lost have been the games where Carl Anthony Towns has kind of taken over for stretches yeah. and like actually taken like a substantial amount of shots. The two games they've won are the ones where Carl Towns has kind of taken a step back a little bit, taken single-digit shots, kind of done a number of different things. Uh, it is intriguing to me as well that Carl Anthony Towns in three of the four games this year, again, they've won two games this year already, um, has a negative plus-minus. And it feels like Carl more so than Rudy, more so than Anthony Edwards, more so than D'Angelo Russell, is the one that's trying to figure out what all of this means for him. And mm. I'm glad that you brought up when Rudy is in, in the dunker spot. It's kind of a perfect encapsulation, right? Because like a big thing that Carl just loves to do is just like catch the ball mid post and like use his shoulder and just like bull into someone because he's strong and has touch and has balance. And then just like go up for like a little mini hook shot or go up for, you know, trying to finish at the basket in some way. Right. And 
he doesn't really have that available to him because it just leads to a double and then he has to pass it. Kind of like you're saying, it all just feels very awkward in terms of the spacing right now with Carl mm-hmm. Towns. And I don't know what to do about that. Um, it feels like they're going to need Chris Finch to get really, really creative uh, offensively to make this work. Like this is, this is different than like Nikola Jokic, who is capable of being the most incredible offensive hub that you will see in the NBA because of his passing and processing ability. Neither Rudy Gobert nor Carl Towns are these incredible processors of basketball. Everyone brings up like the Chris Finch, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis offense is like a better example. Maybe DeMarcus Cousins is a better processor of basketball on the court than either of these two guys are. Like when DeMarcus was playing, you can complain about, you know, DeMarcus's willingness to try and like take things on his own. But that guy sees the court incredibly well. He's a better passer than both Carl Towns and Rudy Gobert. And I think that his willingness to play that secondary role next to Anthony Davis is why that offense worked. And Carl Towns is going to have to be that guy now. But does this trade make sense for Minnesota if Carl Towns is the one sacrificing? That's like the main crux of the question. And I have some real, real worries about it based off of that. And then, you know, bringing up the defense, I think it's critical, Uh, you know, do, do you want me to give my concern first or do you want to talk about what you've seen? I do want to say one good thing about the offense, though. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm excited it. about Jade McDaniels. I'm very excited about Jade McDaniels. Um, the shot obviously is not there right now. That's small sample yeah. size to me. Um, and it needs to get better, obviously, from what it was last year. But the there is a real in, growth in his drive game. Like, he's doing some stuff. Like, granted, like he's the, his, his free throw numbers are, are bolstered by – a wild like outlier in the first game, but yeah. um, in terms of just actual frequency, like he's getting to the to the into the paint more than he ever did last year. Like there was a play against OKC where it sounds small, but he was able to take Trey Man off the dribble, get his shoulder into him, and get a good luck up. And that was an issue for him last year. Like guards forced him to pick up his dribble before he could even get to the paint because of how loose his handle could be, how much he lacked strength on the ball. Um, Again, like it's going to depend more on on ball movement and flow in general as they go on, but I am encouraged by that because we saw a little bit of that in preseason too. So just good stuff to see is overall development that you want to see from J-Mac. Yeah. Um, Defensively now, I I, yeah, I've got some real concerns. You brought up the transition stuff. The, The thing I wanted to bring up first was like Carl Towns is being asked to like play off the ball and like run around like screening actions and like have to chase four men that can actually move and then like get switched on to four men because they're like occasionally allowing to switch um, around in off ball actions. And it's just like, he can't do that. (laughs) It just leads to so many scramble situations for them. I I, I'm, I'm very concerned about the Carl Towns, the four experience. Um, They're going to have to really be tight with their rotations. And that comes with time and chemistry and everything. But like, I I don't know, man. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting. I wasn't expecting them to play. Well, I, I should have, but just based on what I I honestly thought they were just going to slot Rudy in and play similar to how they did last year, which dumb on my end. But, uh, I don't understand necessarily. Well, I mean, like I get it. I get how good Rudy is as a rim protector, but like, yeah, that's the thing. Well, like given 
what I mean, because I just think like like you mentioned, like Cat wasn't amazing last year defensively, but he was good at doing his job. And I think if you can give Cat just like, all right, this is this is the thing you do. You play close ish to the level. We're not and then you're just gonna recover your man. To recover to your man. Jesus, I can't speak. Um I need to see more of that again because like you're mentioning, I agree. Like I, I think it's gonna be a process of having to try a bunch of different things. I do at least feel like they have better personnel than they did in Utah to to get funky. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I mean, this is going to be somewhere we're going to be talking about all season, trying to figure out what this looks like. Um, because yeah, it is. I, yeah. I'm actually not worried about ball screen stuff with them. I'm way more worried about like the off ball stuff with them mm-hmm. in, in terms. Like, I, I agree with you. Like, I think towns can figure out the like screening stuff. And I think that Rudy is good enough to defend in space like that. They'll make that work, but yeah, you can't run the like Jared Vanderbilt, you know, kind of cleaning things up, you know, and help defense a lot of the time um, because teams are going to move. They're going to ask Rudy to defend ball screens more often. So you need Rudy to kind of be the primary guy and you need to play a bit of a heavier drop because you want him at the basket. And then also you kind of need to play a heavier drop just because like Carl's out there chasing dudes around constantly and like trying to make it work that it's, it's hard. Like it just feels like they're scrambling so much defensively right now. And you, again, like you brought up the transition defense thing. That's a huge part of this for them. Like it feels like they're getting mismatched, you know, trying to match up in transition more often than other teams I've seen. And it's because they're playing two bigs that are just going to be that split second later getting down the court defensively. Yeah. Um, no, I totally agree, and I think that's going to be interesting to see, especially because this team really leaned into off- offensive rebounding last year. And again, with J Mac, I mean not J Mac, with 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 Jay Vandal being gone, I don't think they're going to do that as much. Um, and they, I mean, they can't, frankly. What I want to see more of too, like how have you felt about Ant's defense early on? Ant, and we'll talk about what Carl Town said last night here. Yeah, Ant yeah. feels like he's working his way back into shape. Let's go yeah. with that. Um, it, it, I don't think Ant has been very good, just like kind of point blank so far. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I agree. Um, just overall, like even like he had a couple of nice offensive games, but yeah, the defense has not been good. But yeah, I mean, exactly. Like overall, I think even J Mac, I think, has been substandard on defense for for what I expect from him. Um, I want to see a lot more from their perimeter defense, just in general, because they're getting beat on screens pretty easily. Um, like overall, just activity isn't there. Um, so, yeah, it's not not the most encouraging. But I, I like again. I think at least in positive note, like we've seen Chris Finch get this group to play active last year. Granted, it kind of died as as the year went on because of for for yeah, I mean whatever reason. Like they went from being one of the bottom ten offensive teams in the league and top defenses to totally shifting that on his head um, as the year went on. Uh, but. I I do feel at least somewhat positive, um, generally just because I'm an optimistic person. But um, a lot is going to have to start with Ant for me. Like I need him to be more consistent with that because he's capable of it. Like Ant's defense was really good the first 20, 30 games last year, and it tailed off again. Um, and I, I mean, I think that's part of him being a young player in the league and, and taking on that mantle of being a franchise guy for sure. But um, like especially when you need margin for error for what your your bigs are doing like i really think their guards are going to have to be a lot better on what they're doing defensively 
Agree. Uh, the quote about Carl Town. Let's talk about the Carl Towns quote about Anthony. Did you see Edwards his tweet as a follow up today too? No. Get, let me read the quote first, <laughs> yeah, and then you sure. can read the tweet for me. Um, Carl Towns. It was one of those things where, like, Carl Towns. It felt like was trying to take accountability as a leader for the team and said something that maybe didn't come out in the way that he wanted it to. Yeah. Um, he said, maybe I could do a better job of teaching him how to take care of his body, diet and everything. That'll be on me. I know you all think it's funny up here when he talks about Popeye's and all that shit. That doesn't make me happy to hear we're high level athletes, but also that falls on me too. You know, the old cliche falls on you. Everyone wants to take the blame, but it's on all of us. Um, for what it's worth, like I, I do just want to note the reason that this is funny to me is like we're a month out of Anthony Edwards saying that he's no longer eating like fried food uh, during the regular season. So either like Cat doesn't know that or Anthony Edwards was caught eating fast food four <laughs> games into the season. <laughs> like yeah. th- There's not a lot of middle ground here. Um, what did Cat say? So Kat took to Twitter three hours ago and said, this group is special, exclamation point, ain't hearing any outside noise, period, and then added the Timberwolves. Um, which I was like, where is that outside noise coming from? Like, <laughs> like I, yeah. So for what it's worth, I do think that, like, the local media today, like, kind of picked up on that a little bit um, yeah. and was a bit harsh on it. I think it's just one of those deals where like Carl Towns was almost like trying to take accountability for himself, you know, when Ant comes out and yeah. doesn't have the energy because even Anthony Edwards after the game admitted that like he didn't have the energy tonight for whatever reason or last night, I guess. So, you know, it, it's, it's a tricky process. Uh, this, this whole, this whole thing is going to be very tricky. I do think that the leadership aspect is going to be very important for them. Um, you know, Carl Towns, uh, this is a great test of Carl Towns' leadership because he's the one that's been there the longest. He's the one that is going to have to, I think, kind of take a bit of a step back from what we've seen the last couple of years. Um, and it seems like he's taking it upon himself to kind of be this guy that is the leader of this team. So, you know, th- this is a situation that is, th- there's a lot going on here. <laughs> there's, there's yeah, a lot it's, it's, it's interesting too, because like I... <laughs> As I as I'm want to do, I find myself like more in the middle on this. I, I don't think that I have an issue with. I mean, Cat's free to say whatever he wants to. I think it definitely. Yeah. It's the kind I, of look. I don't where, think this is a big deal. Let me be clear about. Oh that. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's just funny to me more than anything. <laughs> it's it's very funny, but I think it's the kind of thing where like because the discourse today was like kind of asinine. Like I think it's oh, the, very the discourse much, like, on the internet is tough right now in general. Yeah. I gotta I gotta admit it to you. Yeah, it's it's not been good. Uh. But I think I just look at it more like, yeah, I think it's the kind of thing where you have to, um, in the moment, like, know, like, hey, this this might not come off super well. Um, but also, um, I mean, I do think that there is, like, a real uh, – I, I kind of – not that I get where he's coming from. I'm not there. I'm not around Aunt Edwards all the time. But did you read John, John Krasinski's piece today over – No, I didn't. At The Athletic? He had – uh, like direct quotes from Ant that I'm trying to pull up right now that were not awesome. Basically talking about how he's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in shape. And like, I need to be better at, at being in shape. Like it's, it's known around the league that I'm, I'm not good on back to backs. 
And I'm like, okay, I appreciate your accountability, dude. But I think, I mean, again, like we're talking about with, with Ant being that player, like I think there's been talk about him, quote unquote, being like the guy for the Wolves. And I think there are flashes of that. But um, part of what, and it's, I think it's, it's interesting because I was talking about this with a friend today, like part of remembering that Ant Edwards is 21 years old right now, even though it's crazy to think about that sometimes, like this is what his third year in the league. He's, yeah bordered on like being an all-star already that, I mean, it could very well happen this year. Uh, I, I think when you're talking about the stuff about him being quote unquote, like the leader of a franchise, like those are the things where you have to not saying that he's an immature person. I don't know him like that, but when it comes to how you approach basketball and how you approach the game day in, day out and finding consistency, like this is definitely a year where that's going to be tested. And I think they need to, make sure that he's hitting his – I mean, he needs to make sure he's hitting his highest stride if they're going to hit their best stride, I think. Like, finding ways to to not be that guy who every time that there's a back-to-back, like, it's just kind of expected that he's going to be tar- a target on defense or that he's not going to have the same energy, like, because that's, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't think it's, you know, breaking news that Anthony Edwards might not be in the best shape. I, I think that – what was it? He came into camp at like 239 pounds. He weighed more than cat. Yeah. Yeah. Like stop that. <laughs> stop doing that, please. <laughs> Any player who does a dirty bulk in the off season needs to not do that. Whoever Mitch Robb's trainer was last year. I need to, we, we, we got words for you, man, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's just like, you know, I, you know, and Luka Doncic did this last year. It's young guys. Like it's not it's a statement. It's just, they have to figure it out. Right. The problem is that, and again, this is what comes down to Minnesota jumping in this early and being willing to dive yeah. all in on this roster. They dove in when their best perimeter player is 21 years old and still figuring things like this out. And that's complicated to do, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, the Timberwolves might be a work in progress uh, this is- throughout the first half of the year. Yeah, so this is the this is the the quote from uh from Ant in, in John's piece that you should go read on the athletic. Um he starts off with a no country for old men reference, which fantastic. I love that movie. Uh, John so that, did or Anthony John Edwards did. did. John did. Like that's how he led the piece, like talking about no country for old men, which I'm like, oh wow. So immediately you start reading dire. Uh this is Ant. It's just normal for me to be bad on back-to-backs throughout my three years I've been in the league, Edwards said. Every time I have a back-to-back, I do bad in the second game. i got to figure out whatever the strategy is. I've got to get that together. Um, and then he continues, this one's on me. I came out with no energy at all. If I can't come out with energy, that changes the whole team. It's all about me right now. Um, so, I, like, there is some accountability there. But, like, again, like, that's not the most awesome quote of all time. Uh, it's interesting, to say the least. Speaking of food that doesn't make you uh, particularly uh, in shape to play basketball, uh, I've heard that you had some interesting Thanksgiving food takes yesterday on the internet, Mark. So I had to to mute that tweet. Um, I think I had 46 (laughs) replies and 13 likes. So it was was a tough one. Um, It was basically like a start bench cut, but for Thanksgiving foods. Okay. And so it it had six, right? So it had cornbread, pumpkin pie, collard greens, uh, turkey. Um, what else was it? I think it was mashed potatoes. And uh, I can't remember what the other one was. But I basically said, I was like, because you only had to cut one out of the six, right? I was like, all right, well, this is easy. I'll just cut two. And I'm going to throw out the pie. 
and I'm going to throw out what was the other one that people were really mad about the one. I got to look it up to make sure, but let's just say people were not happy. And I said, because I would take two extra helpings of collard greens because I love collard greens. I think they're the greatest thing on the face this of the is, earth. This is psychotic behavior. I see some people said that. I think it's fine. Um, but I mean, overall, like I can even do without turkey on Thanksgiving. Okay, so, so yeah, this, this is, this is the move. So <laughs> for the last, when Laura and I did Thanksgiving in the United States and we still do Thanksgiving here, um, we stopped doing turkey. We did ham. That's do amazing. you know why? Because ham better. is better. <laughs> like, let's just be real about it. Ham is better than turkey. And I get that it's a thing for Thanksgiving. If you enjoy ham more, just get ham. That's it. Then you get double ham for both Christmas and Thanksgiving. That's a win for me, I think. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, when you say like get rid of turkey, I'm with that. I, I, I'm cool with that. So this is, I found it. This is the exact tweet. So it's, which one's got to go? Cornbread, macaroni. So like macaroni and cheese. I don't, that's the whole thing. Yams, collard greens, turkey, and pie. So I said, toss the macaroni and pie and I'll take two helpings of greens. That, yeah, (laughs) a lot of people disagree with that one. Um, I'm biased because I'm lactose intolerant, but macaroni and cheese is not that great. Like it's fine, but I could eat. 17 better Look, things than macaroni and cheese. You, you, you got to lead with the fact that you're lactose intolerant. If you're throwing away Mac and cheese, because yeah. like, that's the important part here. That That's why you yeah. don't enjoy Mac and cheese. I'm looking out for myself on, well, I mean, it's not even like, even before I like knew I was lactose intolerant, I didn't like Mac and cheese. It wasn't just because of how it made me felt like the, <laughs> I don't like pasta. I don't like noodles. Um, Like I'll eat pasta, but like noodles are just pretty mid man. Like, if you have to slather something in sauce for it to taste good, is it really good? No. It's just mac and cheese. Do you so, know what's good, Mark? <laughs> sauce. <laughs> well, I mean, make better food that doesn't need sauce. I don't know. Like, you know, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Yams so, don't so, need t- sauce. Time out, time out. We, need to, we need to delve further into this noodles take. Um, <laughs> as Marissa says in the comments, wait, you don't like noodles? question mark uh no. noodles in exclamation points because i have some questions as well uh so is this like italian noodles where it's like pasta is this you know like you get like ramen noodles like you know asian style noodles what, what this well, will extend to I all noodles i don't, is the I don't mind like like pho is fine i don't mind that yeah. um i can do like like pappardelle or something like that it's okay, okay. like i just i don't like I, I grew up eating spaghetti a lot in my household. I do not yeah. like spaghetti. I hate spaghetti actually. Um, yeah, I would actively do anything to not eat spaghetti. Um, I don't really like lasagna. Um, it's just noodles in general. Like the texture, it's a bad texture, man. It's kind of rubbery. Um, that's somebody will tell me that my I, I'm not cooking noodles right. I've had noodles cooked well at restaurants and stuff. I'm just not a fan, man. Like it's fine, but I could do better. I could do better. <laughs> <laughs> I could do better than eating noodles. Yeah, I'll, I'll stand by that. I, I took that when you said that is I could do better in terms of finding <laughs> why, see, why good would food. I, why would I eat noodles when I can have rice? See, you know, like it does like kind of the same purpose. It tastes better. It's better so, texture. Uh, look, I like noodles. I'm Italian. My last name's Vicini. So like, look, well, let's be real about it. I grew up eating noodles, but like – um, I, I think that it, they're two different things. Uh, pasta is 
if you find the right mix of the right pasta, it is better than rice. I will also say I, I like ramen more than I like rice. Really? Um, okay. If we're diving into that, but r- rice has a time and place. I, I'm, you know, I'm in on rice as well. Do, do you like brown rice or white rice? Is the question. Both. I don't care. I mean, I prefer brown. You're just rice, in on rice. I like both. Oh yeah, rice. Rice is amazing. I'm see. I'm like a snob for for Mexican food. I could do it all day, every day, yeah. anytime, every meal. Um, I, I will say that is that is the biggest disappointment about moving to Australia. Um, I, Laura and I lived in Los Angeles for you know eight oh, years God. or whatever, and then. You, and amazing there like yeah we um we then moved to australia where it's very difficult to find good mexican food we have to like make our own mexican food in order to get something that's good and hot take we can't make mexican food as good as the mexican food in los angeles uh that that is that is the thing i'm most looking forward to going back for uh in la is mexican food i can imagine i now I'm really hungry and want Mexican food and might go get Chipotle after this because that sounds amazing yeah, right now. You should you should go get Mexican food. Yeah. You should absolutely go get it Mexican needs to happen. food. It's been a couple days. So Yeah. That's the right call. Had tacos last night. Lori and I did a uh, fish taco with a mango salsa. Um, oh, that sounds good. What kind of fish? Good. Uh Baza. Okay. Interesting. Uh, mango salsa we got- can we got Miles Eric in the comments here on YouTube saying that's the other disclaimer. Mark lives in Utah. All his food takes need that label on it. I grew I'll up in Pittsburgh in and I, I went to college at Ohio State. Like, let's 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 not shit on Cleveland too much. Guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah, there we go. See, Miles is out to get me. Uh, he's a friend of mine, but he uh, yeah, he knows I've slandered too much about New York food. So um. <laughs> I will say pizza is another thing I miss a little bit. We haven't, we found good pizza, but pizza is also like to get a good pie is like, so what is good pizza? That's, that's the question. What's good pizza. Cause I have other, that this could go a million ways. Yeah. We need to, we need to table this conversation, Mark. <laughs> this is, this is the next, this is next week's conversation. What is good pizza? I got you. Um, let, let's do, let's save this for next week. Mark, Mark Schindler pizza takes for next week. Perfect. Um, cause I, I have some concerns based off the way you started that conversation. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people, uh, what you've got coming up here. Yeah. So first and most importantly, Sam, thanks to, Thanks a ton for having me on, man. It really means a ton um, that, that you wanted to have me on and, and keep doing this moving forward. I'm really excited about it. Um, to everyone listening, you can find me on Twitter at MG underscore Schindler. It's the best place to find me. I will be active writing everywhere. I have a, I have a feature coming up on WMBA.com later this week. Um, I will have some draft co- stuff coming up soon. Um, I'm going to probably start a column doing just roundup on, on players who are making strides and improvements um, throughout the NBA that you can be looking out for as well. So yeah, there's going to be a lot of writing coming on my end soon. Uh, at some point, once the women's college basketball season starts, once WNBA gets back into full gear later in the, uh, I guess 2023 at this point, um, we're going to have like little, you know, women's basketball corner for Mark. Cause look, like I, I, th- it will help me get more engaged in women's basketball because I love it every time I watch it. It's just one of those things where, um, I, like it's a time commitment thing for me. And I, I struggle with finding time for things that 
like uh, anything at this point right now, uh, given how crazy my schedule is. But uh, it's something I do really want to focus on on the podcast. So uh, we are going to have Mark talk about women's basketball a bit more often. Um, and he'll lead me along uh, in terms of telling me what is good and what is not good uh, within this. So I'm excited for that. Um, I have a mock draft coming Thursday. I have a... Um, I have those top 20 positional previews for college basketball based on college basketball value um, that went up last week. Uh, I'll tweet those out right now, basically, and retweet it. Until next time, though, we'll talk soon.